Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Equipping and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with me today is our friend and sister in Christ, Laura Perry Smoltz. Laura, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, it's great to have you. The first uh, conversation that we had was so good. I really enjoyed uh, going back and uh, listening to it. Of course, I edited it and all those things. So it was really, really helpful. Um, can you just catch us up on what's been happening in your life, marriage, ministry, and any mini ministry projects that you're working on? Yeah, I mean, things are um, going great at the ministry. Uh, been able to travel quite a bit and share in a lot of different venues. Um, been doing a little bit of political work, um, going around to, to different states, um, just kind of as I'm asked. I'm not real active necessarily politically, but um, have been able to testify in front of some committees really trying to help pass legislation to protect minors. That's kind of my heart in all of that. Um, you know, I, I would love to be able to keep anyone from going down this path, but people have the right, you know, if they want to do this as adults, but it's a whole different thing when you start coming after our children. And so really want to help protect the children. Uh, so getting ready to testify um, most likely on behalf of Oklahoma, um, already testified on behalf of Arkansas, but as far as marriage, uh, marriage is going great. I've been married just over a year, uh, really enjoying not only just the, the companionship and being married, but um, also like really understanding the complementary design of male and female and understanding why God gave us certain roles and the way he designed us to function and learning that um, me being a wife and allowing my husband to protect and lead is actually a really good thing. So I've been learning a whole lot about God's design of marriage and sexuality and um, how good his ways are that I never understood. <laughs> it always felt like God was so restrictive and God just didn't want me to have fun. And, but, you know, now that I'm really doing it God's way, I'm like, wow, God, this is so good. Um, so just really enjoying um that, that protection and that he's really come become kind of a shepherd for me. So I think it's really helped me in ministry. It's really helped me in my personal life as well. Uh, now I'm a stepmom as well. So that's been a whole new challenge. And um, of course uh, my stepson is, is grown, but, um, but still he, he lives with us. And so um, just learning to, to do some of those kind of things and to, um, I don't know, it, it's like, I feel like I'm growing a whole lot in the last year. So, that's, um, but yeah. But also in in ministry, just um, I I'm really working on some new teachings and some different things. Hopefully, going to be putting out some more video content. Um, really wanting to to help people understand not only the issue but how to address it. But really, my heart is to help under people understand God's design. It, it reminds me so much of the um, there's an old analogy where they talk about how a um, somebody that studies um, or works in trying to prevent counterfeiting of money. They don't study all the fakes that are out there. They study the original so well that they can spot any difference in, in it at all. And so that's my heart is to teach people what God really designed, why this is good, what it all points to, what the ultimate purpose is. Because um, I think it's really beautiful when people really get an understanding of that. Mm. Well, I'm, I, you just made me an even bigger fan because you're you're going and speaking out at, you know, trying to help the politicians understand this issue. And I think that is... That's that's where we have to go, you know, with these things. Yes. We can't just be we need to be in the public square talking about them. But we need people like yourself that, you know, really have personal experience going out. So you you definitely have my prayers as you do that. That's that's really thank you work that you're doing. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the prayers and anyone that's listening. Trust me, I am um, I and um, other people that do this with me really need a lot of prayer. There's so much warfare against this and it's some days it is so heavy. So I really need the prayer. Yeah, you got it. You got it. You know, today we're going to focus on guys on uh, how this issue of transgenderism is affecting our culture. It's affecting, you know, parents and lives and hearts and, you know, across the, across the sphere. 
Um, so starting out, uh, Laura, what most concerns you about what's happening on college campuses and universities with regards to transgenderism? Well, I think, first of all, there, there's so many kids that have grown up in Christian homes. They've grown up in youth group and in church, and they're getting to these college campuses. Even Christian college campuses are pushing this LGBT agenda. And um, so many of the kids, I, I've heard from hundreds of parents that they say their, their kid had showed no sign of desiring to be LGBT or um, really getting into liberal ideology. And all of a sudden they've gone completely um, LGBT ally and they're pushing this agenda or they themselves have started identifying as LGBT. And it's like they're being sucked into this cult. And so just a couple of examples like um, Xavier University, who's a, they're a Catholic university, but still they had a trans day of remembrance with the drag queen show. They had um, Queries, which was a group that was staff-led, which this blew me away. It was a staff-led LGBTQ support group. And I know on other college campuses, um, I've heard, um, I, I've talked to some staff members who've tried to create Christian groups to bring in Christian speakers, and they have been told they can absolutely cannot be staff-led. It has to be student-led. And so, but here we see there, there's such a... Um, a discrepancy there and it's a double standard. And so anything LGBT just gets celebrated and affirmed. And, um, and there was, according to, there was a site called dragqueenentertainment.com and they provide drag shows to over 20 college campuses. Um, and according to USA Today, one in four LGBTQ students um, is considering dropping out of college. So this was interesting. So the mental health, even though we're being told this is wonderful and we're pushing this to all of our, our college students and um, this is so wonderful and you can learn to be tolerant and inclusive and diverse and all this, but the students that are identifying as LGBTQ are have far more mental health problems and studies, even secular studies that are not biased towards our opinion. Um, this was on USA Today and um, they're reporting that they have far more mental health issues. And so why are we pushing this on these kids when we know it's not good for them, but because of this agenda? And, but, but what's even more concerning than the college kid? Well, and first I wanted to say too, um, there are video clips out there that I've seen where they go and interview college students and they just refuse to like say um, what a male or a female is. And they're, they're totally, like you can tell um, they have no real, um, grasp of what truth is. It's everything so relative. And it's really, I'm really concerned about the future of our workforce and just people to be able to reason and, and think logically um, when, when everything is so relative and just based on feelings. I think that's really dangerous for the future of America. Um, but also what's going on in our schools. So it's dangerous enough at the college level, at least they're adults, but they're still not fully the brains aren't fully developed. They're still so impressionable. But now they're pushing this on our schools at younger and younger ages. So like, for example, in um, in Glendale, California, there was a classroom that showed a gay pride video to third graders. And then we had one where um, the like the California state guidelines for education in um, stated that second graders should be taught about diverse collection of families, including those with LGBTQ parents. Um, a school in New York gave a graphic sex education book to fifth graders, which included illustrations of all kinds of sex acts. Um, and there was a whole lot more. I mean, I, I know of one personal story where a, um, a friend of mine, she had a friend who had um, daughters that were in preschool, twin daughters. And they came home one day and they said, mommy, guess what we learned in school? And she's thinking a new color, a new letter, you know? And they're like, we learned we might have boys inside us. And so that's what the teacher was teaching at the preschool level. Yeah, I think it was in California recently. You know, there was a senator who said he had been serving for a long time. Can't remember how long, but I saw this. I think it was on Twitter. And he had said, you know, I'm going to be leaving the state because I've been trying to, you know, fight against this. And now they want to take they're going to pass a law or talking about passing a law or maybe they have probably have where they're going to force parents to uh, have kids identify at like second or I think it was third grade about, you know, what gender they decide. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, when I, I used to I used to work as a paraprofessional in in the state of Idaho in southern Idaho and specifically in Boise when we lived there. 
And I worked with third graders. I'm thinking there's no way. There's no way that the third grader, I mean, outside of the special ed classroom and just a regular kid outside of special needs uh, would ever understand what was even happening. They haven't even gone through sex ed. And forget that because, I mean, they're going to teach them all sorts of other stuff. I mean, but you're already making them identify um, as non-binary or whatever i'm like so so the senator was going to leave the state he's tired mm. of it. and now there's some people some friends here have talked to me about it and they're thinking of leaving the state of oregon because we're probably next i mean they're they're they got you got queer theory and i've got friends in the school districts here in the state and oh my goodness it's unbelievable mm. yeah and what's so frightening about um pushing kids to identify at that age think about it, it's natural and completely normal for boys to like other boys at that age. And it's not sexual. It's not romantic. It's their friends and girls had cooties <laughs> and the opposite, the girls. I mean, I remember on the playground as kids, nobody told us the girls had to play together and the boys had to play together. Now I was confused and I, um, I tended to play with the boys a lot, but for like 99% of them, the girls all played together and the boys all played together and boys liked each other and they were their friends. But if you start telling kids and I've heard, adults asking children if you like boys and that means you're gay <laughs> to a second or third grader that's it's such child abuse and these kids are going to be so confused i'll say it like this but i've just heard lots of stories of um this gender agenda being pushed and we know that they they've come up with like this um the gender bread person for example who shows um it, it's a child's diagram that shows like how gender uh, biological sex is one thing and gender identity is another thing and gender expressions, another thing. It's like, it's such nonsense, but like I've tried to have conversations with people um, about the realities of biological sex. And they're like, yeah, but gender identity and biological sex are not the same thing. It's like, Oh, like where do you even start? Wow. You know, we we've seen with Leah Thomas uh, the rise, the rapid, increasing rise of transgenderism in sports. I'll say it that way. And we've also seen those like Riley Gaines, who was uh, she was a uh, she was a swimmer in college. Now she's out, out of you know college. I think she was in Kentucky, and she was um, an NCAA swimmer, very prolific. Uh, been swimming since she was a child, and and then um, she was. Uh, she was at San Francisco University and she got basically uh, spoke out. They invited her to speak there. And so she spoke what she thought, which is allowed under the First Amendment. Um, and then people can respond. Right. And so so then they cornered her in a room and threatened her uh, to, to pay money. And so uh, in my mind, this really shows the activism about this uh but but we have a broader question um you know here as well I, I know that concerns you as well but what most concerns you about the rise of transgenderism in sports well not only the unfairness and that's just part of it i mean the reality is that even if men take estrogen and they block testosterone their their entire body is designed differently and as i've been studying the difference between male and female there's over 6,500 biological differences between men and women and the, their muscles are different. Their shoulders are broader. Their, um, their bones are denser. And even like in um, grip strength, for example. So um, the top 10% of females can only beat the bottom 10% of males. There's an incredible difference. Hmm. So even if they were able to, um, they lost some strength, maybe from blocking testosterone, you still have an entirely different body. You have different lung capacity, different heart size. Um, so many factors that the, the angle of the, the bones are different from the, on, on the hips. So certain things are easier. Um, you know, so men have a more explosive power and speed that can get up to speed much quicker than females. Um, so even though females tend to do better endurance in the long run, but they still, I mean, the man has so much more power. They're still not going to be able to compete. Um, so there, there's such an unfairness there and it's affecting not only the sports, but then a lot of those girls depend on uh, scholarships. So it may affect their career and the rest of their life. But the even bigger concern is that there, some of these men are really hurting women. 
Um, so not only is it embarrassing and maybe they're losing opportunities, but like um, we'll show this clip here of some of the the unfairness and particularly in like these fighters who are, that are just beating these girls. And it's like a license to beat people. male has just become the first transgender person to win a world title in cycling. First transgender weightlifter winning her maiden international event as well. Leah Thomas taking first place in the NCAA 500-yard freestyle. She is the first transgender athlete to be crowned NCAA champion. Leah Thomas beat fellow teammate Anna Catalanzi by 38 seconds at the 1653. Thomas could be overheard bragging. That was so easy, I was cruising. His daughter was also forced to share the same locker room as Leah Thomas and be exposed to Thomas's male genitalia. Two transgender athletes took off flying and left all of us girls in the dust. Dominating the competition. As a trans athlete, I'm not a threat to women's sports because I am a woman. Thomas, a male could be 40% stronger than a female on his legs, things like shoulder width. Those things don't change when transgender women suppress testosterone. They don't get shorter. I can train 20 hours a week, but I cannot train to be a man. Transgender MMA fighter Fallon Fox has really shaken up the sport. Tamika Brent decided to step up and say, I'll fight her, and oh my God, wasn't that a huge mistake? Kamika suffered a concussion and a fractured her orbital bone in her skull. She received several staples in her head. I fought a lot of women and have never felt the strength that I felt as I did that night. I can only say I've never felt so overpowered ever in my life. So it's, you know, I mean, clearly we can see, and that's just a few clips that I found um, but like that last girl said that she'd fought a lot of women and she said, I'd never felt so overpowered and never felt that kind of strength. And that's a whole different, that's not just saying that girl's a little stronger than the rest. This is a clearly unfair advantage and it can lead to them really getting hurt. Um, but of course we've seen in, in lots of other sports, there's just such an unfair advantage, like the one, well, it's a, a man living as well. I don't even like the term trans woman because they're not a woman, it, but um, he says, you know, I, um, I'm, I forgot his exact words, but basically there's no unfair advantage here. I'm a woman and all this, but in the next clip, you see him just leaving the others in the dust and it's not even, it's not even a fair competition. So, I mean, I think it's just going to destroy women's sports. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is, um, wow. I have so many thoughts going through my head right now. Uh, but I mean, it just, it just shows you like women like Riley Gaines, she had trained since her whole life. And those those women that swim, they train 10 plus hours a day. She talks about that. And and she, you know, she was even told she tied with Leah Thomas, you know, at the I think it was at the NCAAs. And she was told that, you know, Leah Thomas was going to get the thing. And it's like, how is that fair? You tied with a man. OK. And you weren't both given the the trophy or have some sort of runoff or whatever you know you that that's just that just destroys competition and when i was younger i i played soccer at a high level i played tennis at a high level um i played uh then i focused on golf and i played golf at a high level and it's like you know you can't play sports at a high level and invest the, that kind of time, I mean, 10 hours a day or more between running, lifting, um, you know, practicing, you know, playing, doing the sport. Uh, it concerns me greatly for not just, you know, not just for the athletes, like you were saying, you know, and the scholarships loss and the opportunity, but it just, that's what that clip showed so powerfully that we played she, this woman was overpowered by a man and we're normalizing we're normalizing abuse in our society that's 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 really what it's doing yeah absolutely and yeah. we are we we as christians we are 100% against abuse 100% right. so that's a total abomination of the 
you know, the image of God and man. So. Right. And it wouldn't surprise me. Like, I remember there was one um, in the, in the Olympics that like competed in, I don't, he didn't win, but I, I would not be surprised if they're trying to normalize this and making it look like there's no difference. They may put in there some who are, who haven't trained a whole lot or who are not very good, you know, and make it look like, Oh, this is really normal. Um, but the reality is most of them, I mean, there's such an unfair advantage. And even like with, uh, Leah Thomas, like, you know, he was overheard saying he was cruising on another one. So did they tell him to make it look like it's more of a competition because there are clips where he is just, I mean, way, way ahead. So the fact that she tied him, I'm going, was he intentionally slowing down or, I mean, I don't know, but um, I know they're trying to make this look like there's no advantage and there clearly is. And keep in mind as well that, you know, Leah Thomas was like not even towards the top of the male swimmers in the NCA as a right. man. So imagine if you put one of the best male swimmers like, you know, uh, Michael Phillips or somebody like that, yeah. you know, at a, at the male Olympic level, which is what <laughs> the college, which is what a college swimmer at the top level would be. Right. right. So so imagine that. Imagine the level of embarrassment. And, and right. uh, just to bring this out a little more, Riley, even Riley Gaines even talks about this. In, in in sharing on the news, which I mean, you can go look at those things at any point. That she's all over the place, but but it is embarrassing. She talks about mm -hmm. it because I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you as a guy, I, I don't go in the women's bathroom. Uh, right. I wouldn't want to go in the women's bathroom. Um, we can be very strong, you know. As a man, as a Christian man, I'm, I'm happily been married sixteen years now. You know, um, if 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 I treated my wife in that way i can tell you what would happen my wife would go to the elders right uh, they know where we are and i would be under church discipline justly yeah. you know justly forget forget ministry that would be out of the equation right. you know um but i would never do that but there's a lot of men that do go that direction and they should be under church discipline um because abusing your wife and treating if you're a man and you treat a woman that way or 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 a woman treats a man that way um and you're a professing christian it's totally unjustifiable right it's totally inappropriate um you know it, that's why that's why we need to be repenting of our sins absolutely and confessing it to the lord uh, so that it doesn't get to that if you have that much frustration and that much um pent-up aggression towards your spouse or towards mm -hmm. anybody really please go and get some help and i think i think you know when we talk about this maybe that's what we're talking about we're talking about somebody that just has so much pent-up aggression and they're so frustrated that they lost to other guys and they're willing to do whatever it takes to then go and you know win to, so that they can feel better and it's like wait a minute that would be idolatry. Right. I mean, you've elevated your sport to such a degree that you're wanting to change who and what you are, which you can't really. Right. You know, so, but that's, that's the worship of self. I mean. Yeah. And I remember just as, um, this isn't exactly about sports, but just as far as the locker rooms and all that, which kids are saying, you know, we do not want other sexes in our locker rooms. And I remember when I was uh, living as trans and I was a, a security guard at a middle school and uh, the principal did not know that I was trans. And there were these boys goofing off in the bathroom one day and they were they were out of class and excused. And he wanted me to go in there and get them. And I was terrified. And I was like, I knew that I should not go in there, even though I was using men's restrooms all the time. But all of a sudden I was really convicted about this. Um, because these were um, not, not just adult men, but these are young boys. And I was really terrified. And I walked in and I tried to like really avert my eyes and not look at the, And I remember all three of them turning and covering themselves. And they were so ashamed and they were freaked out because they had figured out I was trans. And they were, what are you doing? Get out of here. And I remember just the, the anger and they. Well, how has Hollywood and social media contributed to the rise of transgenderism in our day? Well, and this could be a whole, I mean, I've been teaching entirely on just the Hollywood influence and all of this. So, um, but just to sketch over a few things, first of all, um, there's an old saying that, and I may not quote this exactly, but, and I've heard this in multiple contexts. I don't know who the original source is, 
Um, but it says like if what one generation um, tolerates, the next generation um, or, or no, what, what I think what one generation um, makes fun of or or laughs at the next generation tolerates and the next generation celebrates. And you can see this progression because there were so many comedy movies back in like the 50s, 40s, maybe even um, where they were really making fun of of transvestites, um, even into. Um, and I um, there were some in Hollywood, actually, that really promoted this idea of being very androgynous, like Marlene Dietrich, who dressed as a man, views and other things. Um, but here she was, you know, dressing like a man and normalizing this. But then you have um, people like um, in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, where he's um, dressing as a woman and it's this very um, avant-garde sort of character that everybody just laughs at. In fact, in my hometown, this was so disgusting to me. I, there was a, um, a a kitty park that is literally for, it, it's like a an amusement park for three to six-year-olds. I mean, it is like little bitty roller coasters and bumper boats and stuff. They, they put a statue of this guy, and I can't remember his name off the, uh, Joe, it's Joe something, and he was from Bartlesville, and he was an actor um, that dressed as a as very, um, but then they, they've getting, they're getting bolder and bolder on pushing this stuff on Sesame Street, on children's shows. They've had, um, as of like a year ago, it might have increased now, but there were 82 um, cartoons, and these were not just like from all over the world or like, um, I mean, these were like cartoons targeted toward children. These weren't like the adult um, cartoons, you know, that kind of thing. But um, that had LGBTQ characters, sometimes multiple characters. And so I like my little pony. And I, I don't remember which character it was, but like some gay character or something. Um, but shows targeted toward little children. And we all remember like Arthur that had a gay wedding. <laughs> this, this show is for like five-year-olds. This is insane. And I even look at like just the lessons that they taught, not just the overt things they're doing now, but I thought back to the plot of The Little Mermaid, which I secretly loved as a child, even though I was pretending to be a a boy all the time or acting like a boy, but I loved The Little Mermaid. You think about the plot of this, that um, she totally rebels against what her father says. She goes up to the surface that she's not, you know, somewhere she's not supposed to go. She's totally envious of what she sees up there. And then she basically has this like, sells her soul to the devil kind of thing is what, what it's kind of hinting to. She gets what she wants. She ends up living sort of happily ever after. And in the end, her dad was like, no, I, I really, you were the one that was correct. And this is wonderful. And like that she could be something that she wasn't. And it's like that this agenda has been pushed so much through the media. But now as you move into social media and you have the pressure um, that these kids are under and they're being coached and kids are literally being coached of how to come out to their parents. And I've heard from so many parents, it's like their kids are reading a script. And I've heard so many stories of kids that say, you know, I just didn't like myself. I was depressed. I didn't know what was wrong. And then I went on YouTube or I went on TikTok or whatever. And I saw this person that was talking about how they were trans and this totally changed their life. And they're so happy now. And then I did the same thing. And so that... And there, we could go on forever about the, the social media influence, but I think the influence is huge. And just one other real quick point. There are people out there who are these influencers and they feel this pressure to keep encouraging people and to be really positive. And I have seen there's this one girl who made all these like really positive videos about how amazing this was. She's so glad she did this, blah, blah, blah. She got on there one day and was like, you know, I got on here to make a really positive video. And I just can't do it. I just got to be real. I'm so sick of this. And she went on and on for like 15 minutes about how horrible this was. The the um, She'd had many, many, many corrective surgeries because this had gone so bad. And then she was getting ready to have another surgery. And she said, I wish I had never taken that first shot. And she eventually took that video down and she went on to making a whole bunch more videos. But I actually saved the original. And um, so it's what people are putting out there sometimes is not the truth of how they really feel behind the scenes. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of regret, but they're trying to, they feel like they can't let their audience down. Wow. What can, what most concerns you about the rise of support of transgenderism in the church? Well, the, the, the church is like the last 
bastion of truth. I mean, if, if we're not holding to the truth, who is? And this entire culture, it's like the, imagine if a, um, a boat goes out and it gets lost in a storm and, um, you know, it's, it's probably like, it's totally unaware of the danger that's coming. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait, how do I get it? How do I get back to shore? Well, if the lighthouse is floating around on the ocean with the boat, just following it wherever it goes, the boat's never going to find its way home. Um, and it's, it's going to drown out there in the sea, but we have to be firmly planted on the truth. Even if they don't want to hear it now, I remember when I finally got tired of all the lies, I had to have a place to come back to. I, I needed that solid grounding to come because I felt like I was just lost out at sea and I didn't even, I wasn't even in a boat. I felt like I was drowning and just tossed by the waves. I was in so much turmoil and I knew the truth, but it was, it was too difficult. God was working no matter what the church said, God was working on me. I was so convicted about this. I knew that God did not want me living as transgender. So imagine though, if the church was completely affirming and celebrating this and telling me it's wonderful, I would have had no place to come back and to be rooted and grounded and to really get planted in the truth. Um, and I think it's just, it's like, um, it's, it's like going and having a church service in the prison and just leaving them all prisoners and leaving them in their chains which in the physical world, you know, I mean, the reality is some, sometimes we can't free the prisoners, but spiritually, are we just going to leave people in their, in their chains of bondage and just try to make them feel good? Um, tell them how wonderful they are, but we're just going to leave them chained up and not tell them that there's freedom, that Jesus has opened the prison doors and, let the, and said they can go free, you know, if they will believe and trust in him. And so I, I think it's incredibly dangerous, but it, it's, I mean, we could we could talk for hours on that subject as well about the dangers of the church embracing this. But I also think it's going to bring judgment on the church as well. Um, if we are affirming and celebrating sin, remember that Jesus said, if anyone calls it, and he said, stumbling blocks are the things that make people stumble or um, fall into sin. Those things are inevitable. But he said, woe unto those that um, causes one of these little ones to stumble. And I'm paraphrasing just a little bit, but he said it would be better that a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I think when you know you start talking about pronouns and all of those things, you you just basically wiped out Genesis one and two from the Bible. Okay. And when you do that, when you just whitewash it and you just rip it out, you might as well just rip it out if you support. In fact, there's there's actually been a movement in the last 30 to 40 years from the LGBTQ community in the church. And one of the couple of the guys that are Methodists have even said, we just would rather that this uh, Gary Comstock, one of them, they did a they did a some sort of study. And he said one of the things that he reports is he just wishes that those parts of the Bible about, you know, marriage between one man and one woman for life and uh, pro the prohibition against uh, homosexuality in Leviticus eighteen twenty two Romans one I mean all over the place uh, that that those passages could just be ripped out of the Bible. I mean, notice that. Notice that wow. what they're saying that they think they think that it can be ripped out of the Bible. They want it ripped out of the Bible. Now, this is one thing that I just talk about when when the, everybody everybody has some sort of view of the Bible. Now, whether they're going to come out and tell you what that view is. But when they do, that's when we have the answer right there. You know, we have the better word. We have the better message, you know, in Christ alone. But we can take that message and we can bring it to bear on the arguments and show how the Christian life and worldview is greater. So you have guys that have, that have, that have said these things. You've had others that have said these things. And you can take those arguments and you can – Show no, these. These are what these passages mean. We're not going to gloss over that. We're not going to, you know, we're in in love. We're going to show you what they mean. But then here's the truth about how you know if you're a man, you can be a man, and if you're a woman, you can be a woman, because God assigns our gender, you know, at birth, and you know we we can't change that. He made a man and a man and a woman a woman, and that's a good thing. We don't have to fight against that. We just have to we have to believe it. We have to accept it. Um, you you have too many people that are trying to do what I call it's been called hermeneutical gymnastics. They they want to jump over text, they want to rip things out, they want to re-explain it because 
Nobody has got it right in the history of the church. Really? Nobody has got it right. Nobody nobody has the right take. Nobody has the right interpretation. Um, but but that person, wow. Ooh. And you know, the sad thing is, is people are so attracted to that, that mm-hmm. novel idea because they think, oh, maybe I was, maybe I was the average Christian who maybe is biblically illiterate or theologically untrained. They find that very appealing and even confusing because hey, I, I, I want to hear something I've never heard before, right? I mean, mm-hmm. tell me, you know, whisper that to me, tell me about that. But actually, when somebody does that, what you should, what you should do, and 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 I, my my degree, my academic training was in this area and in interpretation. When somebody's saying that they have a new and a novel in, interpretation, guys, uh, don't listen to them. Run the other way. <laughs> you know, just just. It doesn't matter if it's a pastor or a Bible teacher or a podcast or whatever. Just, just go ahead and literally do a U-turn and see yourself out of that conversation. Um, you know, it's uh, it's really it's really dangerous. But that's that's exactly what's happening in these types of conversations. Yeah, and I think well, and like you said, I mean, this is has greater implications than just on the LGBT issue. I mean, if we start removing any part of the Bible or we start saying that any part of the Bible is is not important or it doesn't say what it does, it, it sort of removes the whole foundation. And, and if you remove the foundation of Genesis, it's like imagine a, um, you know, this isn't like you're just on solid ground and then you have a foundation like we think of on the house. I mean, that's about enough to remove the foundation of the house. The whole thing's going to crumble. But this is like if you remove Genesis, it's like a bottomless pit. I mean. If if you remove that, then everything just goes downhill from there. And because you start embracing more and more lies, you know, if you're, if you turn away, like if the truth is over here, you know, you're walking toward God. If you turn away from the truth and start walking that way, you're, you keep going that direction further and further. Mm. And I think it's incredibly dangerous for churches. It also makes the church look um, like they don't really believe God. But I think also one of the major problems and the reasons that we're not dealing with this properly is because there's so much other sin in the church. And I think in general, the pastors, uh, well, in the church in general is just not dealing with sin like we're supposed to and teaching people to live godly lives. Mm, Yeah, that's good. That's really good. What advice do you have for parents whose children are being indoctrinated at every stage of their schooling and about transgenderism? Well, I think, you know, the number one thing that parents need to do is to be proactive to teach their children, teach children, not only the Bible, um, that's absolutely essential. And we are told to to teach it day and night, you know, when you're, when you're going and you're coming and you're lying down and, you know, um, when you're in your house and all those things and to write it on your doorposts and um, to write it on your, the walls where we're told to, to live and breathe the word of God. But um, to teach them God's design, it's kind of like the example I gave earlier of the counterfeit money. Um, you know, we could talk all day long till we're blue in the face about all these things going on, but teaching them God's design, his intentional design of male and female, but also in- encouraging kids, helping them see how they fit in with their peers, asking them questions about how they feel like they fit in. Um, if you run across it, and these things are unavoidable. So if they hear something about gender or sexuality or whatever, have conversations about it, ask them what they think about it. Um, ask them how they, um, you know, what the Bible says about that and bring them around, help them critically think for themselves that it's not just you spitting out this information that they're supposed to believe. Cause when I was a kid, I always felt like I did not have a choice. My parents just did not know how to encourage me to think for myself. And so it felt crammed on my throat. I never had the ability to have any opinion or to think for myself. So I think that's incredibly important, but we can help them see where they may err. So we don't have to say, oh yeah, you're right. You know, if they have some opinion, we can help guide that, um, but allow them to explore and to think about that um, and to inform their thinking through the word without, without saying that, you know, without keeping them from thinking for themselves, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, but hopefully in the future, that's uh, my next project is I'm working on um, some teaching material and hopefully going to be a book one day, um, really on God's design of male and female. There are some other good resources out there um, on God's design. So you can check out, there's books on Amazon, things like that. But I just really want to encourage parents to be proactive with your kids. 
one of the, oh, and just real quick, one of the number one things that we see is that um, in almost every case where kids are struggling with gender and sexuality, there's a disconnect with the parents. And it's not to blame the parents. I mean, we are so busy in this society. And we have, and I'm understanding now, I mean, there is so much pressure on parents and there's so much like, it's just hard. This life is hard and we could never be the perfect parent. You know, we're all sinners raising other sinners. But I think in this society, we are far too addicted to technology. We're spending too much time in entertainment and kids raising themselves on their phones and on their, their game systems and all this stuff, rather than really spending time connecting with their kids. And I think that um, will go a long way toward helping these kids being secure in their identity. That's really, really well said. Really well said. What advice do you have for Christians walking along alongside and trying to help those stuck in transgenderism? Well, I think um, number one thing is discipling them in Jesus. And really, like if somebody is really, well, I guess it depends on where the person's at. You know, if that person really is wanting to follow Jesus, because I I really struggled. I didn't know how to get free. I didn't know how to to, to not be transgender anymore. Cause I believed it's who I was. I'd had all these surgeries. I'd had taken these hormones for years. And, um, but really discipling someone to grow in Christ, to pursue Christ and to allow the Holy spirit to do that work and listen to the Lord for what he wants you to speak into their lives and really being in tune with the spirit, um, and with the word of God, but also, um, just really, being intentional with that person to listen really well. A lot of times people, as they tell me their stories, things like that, people will go, oh my goodness, I never thought of that. I never saw that connection. And they'll start making those realizations on their own. Um, if the person is totally opposed to the gospel, I think we need to be careful. Like there are so many of our young people who their best friend is totally opposed to God who is really LGBT or whatever, we need to love and serve those people as Jesus did. But Jesus did not make his best friends, the the um, the people that were still living in prostitution and working at the brothels and things. He called them out of that. And the, the actually where he's accused of being a friend of sinners, the context of that is when um, Matthew had left the, his tax collecting booth and he invited Jesus over to teach all his tax collector friends. So it's not like Jesus was... He wasn't bringing sinners into his inner circle and just hanging out with them um, while they're being unrepentant. The whole point was for him to teach them to follow him and to forsake sinful ways. So I think we need to be really careful. What does that relationship look like? So if your best friend is really opposed to God, maybe you need some stronger Christian friendships and maybe um, try to be an influence to that person, try to serve that person if you can love them, but without making that, that person, your, your best friend, I think is, I just think that's dangerous. And I think, unfortunately, our kids are not taught that the Bible warns um, about ungodly friendships and being yoked with unbelievers. And even if that's not a marriage, like we tell kids, you know, don't marry an unbeliever, but we don't tell them, don't make your best friend an unbeliever. Um, and it's, it's not hateful to do that. It's actually um, helpful for them because most often if, it's kind of the old example. They used to use this in youth group. If you're standing on up on a platform and somebody tries to pull you down, it's very easy to pull somebody down, but it's very difficult to pull somebody up. And so what happens is you start being more influenced by them. And then you're not going to be any good to them to share the gospel. If all of a sudden you're doing the same things and you're, you're being so influenced by them. And a lot of times as those friendships deepen, it gets harder and harder sometimes to to speak the truth into their lives. So anyway, so I hope that's helpful. Um, but the, the number one thing really is to be so filled with the word of God and so filled with the um, with the Lord and with his presence and um, with his love that that will naturally pour out on others. That's my parents. They tried for years to fix me, but when they realized they couldn't, they just started seeking the Lord for themselves. And as they got so full of Jesus, it just naturally started to spill out and they weren't preaching at me anymore. They were just telling me of God's goodness and what he was doing for them. It's really good. You know, we're seeing people wake up to the idea of transgenderism in our culture and even speak as Chris Rufo did about uh, Texas Children's Hospital. Uh, Tucker Carlson, when he was on Fox News, has about transgenderism. Uh, about uh, transgenderism as a matter of theology and religion and worship. 
So how should Christians speak to this issue of transgenderism? Well, you know, I think, well, first of all, it is a religion in itself. It really is like some people would call that like secular humanism, or it is a worship of the creation and declaring people that they are creator. And I think, um, first of all, fighting this agenda um, against the kids and really um, share this information, share these videos. There's lots of articles out there. So you don't have to have like a, a huge stage to be able to, to have an influence. Um, but talk to your pastors about having somebody come in and speak on this issue if, if they're not equipped to do it. Um, I, I, I give testimony sometimes in, in churches or, um, you know, but there's, there's lots of other resources out there. But I think, first of all, we need to be equipped and be really secure in the word of God, what the word of God says on this issue. There's lots of resources at um, our website at firststone.org, um, or you can go to my website, transgendertotransform.com. I'd also highly recommend a movie called In His Image. It's free. Go to inhisimage.movie. So there's a lot of resources. So get equipped and be really secure so that when the attack of the, the people come, because they, the darkness hates the light. They don't want to hear the truth, even though it's, it's um, those seeds. We, we never know what those seeds are actually doing and how much impact. There were so many times where my parents would say something and I'd blow them off, say, whatever, I'm, you know, and I just wouldn't listen, but I'd go home and I'd think, man, what if they're right? You know, or things would just have an impact later. I would think about things. And so we, God promises his word will never return void. So if we're really secure um, and we are really in tune with what the, um, what the word of God says, and we share with love and compassion, we have to trust that God is going to do his work with the seeds that he plants. And we don't have to worry about those results. So um, but I think ask the Lord and just um, ask the Lord to put on your heart, whatever he wants you to do in this. Cause we can't like, sometimes I, I fall in the trap of um, feeling like I have to fight the entire war. You know, no, no soldier is out there. Like God is our, our general. No soldier is out there fighting the entire battle. I can't fight it on every front. I can't, I can't address everything that's out there, but, but I can do what the Lord puts on my heart to do my part. So you can do that as well. So whatever God puts on your heart, there are parents that um, go to school board meetings. Um, there are parents that go testify um, at capitals. There are, you know, all kinds of different ways that you can be involved. So just um, ask the Lord to put that on your heart and do what he's called you to do. Yeah, it's really well said. Well, Laura, where can people go to find out more about you online? Well, again, um, the, the websites I mentioned, transgender2transformed.com. You can get both of my books there. I have uh, my testimony that is in um, a book by the same title, transgender2transform.com. It's also available in Spanish. If you have any Spanish-speaking friends, uh, the Lord's been opening a lot of doors in the Hispanic community for my testimony, so please share with them. Um, there's also a prodigal prayer guidebook that is uh, prayers that are based in scripture and you can put uh, the person's name in the blank and fill that out. Um, there's a free version if you prefer just on PDF or you can buy the hard copy. Um, you can also get those on Amazon, but you can also go to firststone.org, which is the ministry I work for. Um, this is our website. We have lots of resources there. We'd love to get you connected. Um, we also have resources for parents. We can help connect you to a parent's group. Um, I think we have plans at some point to start our own um, online parents group. We have one that's here locally in Oklahoma City, but um, I think there's um, we're talking about starting an online one that we could have parents from all over. But I do already know of some of those groups, so I could get you connected. Um, and just we we just really want to support you and help you in any way you can. Um, so if we don't have the resources, we can help you find them. Yeah, that's really good. You know, there's a lot to say, as you said earlier, about all of these topics. We could have talked about Hollywood for a whole hour, uh, and maybe we will uh, another time, perhaps. But just as we wrap up this conversation, can you give us a few takeaways? Yeah, I think most importantly, remember that we really we live in a sinful world in a sinful God forsaken or not God forsaken, but I mean, a, a lost culture that is um, God will never forsake us, but they they have forsaken God is what I should have said in a, a culture that completely has pushed God out of everything. But the answer is even though we can be a part of this and we can be salt and we can be light and we should be all those things. The answer is the gospel. The answer is not the, the political action, even though I can be a light and be salt in that arena and I can try and help pass legislation. Ultimately legislation is not going to solve this country's problems. 
the gospel is the answer. And so really be, be so filled with Christ yourself that you will be a good ambassador for Christ for wherever he calls you to be salt and light to this culture. And one thing that I, I know for so many people, um, and it's hard for me sometimes too, um, people call me so courageous and brave. And But honestly, I have some of the same fears. I just have to get over my fears sometimes and do what the Lord has called me to do. And I'm not perfect at that. But I have found with sharing my faith, the more that I share my faith, the more courage I have to do it. But as soon as I start um, making excuses and I get afraid, and then it's easier to start being more and more afraid every time. So um, be courageous, trust the Lord, trust him that he will equip you, trust him that he will um, give you all the, the resources that you need, but also the um, he promises that in the, um, this is a bit of a paraphrase too, but in the, um, that he will keep us in the secret of his presence from the strife of tongues. And so when, when people are reviling you, when they hate you, Jesus said, blessed are those uh, are blessed are you when they, they revile you and persecute you. So remember that Jesus has called us to something that's difficult, but he will be with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So be um, be courageous and be willing to be light and salt to this culture. Mm, well said. Well said, Laura. Well, guys, we've been talking today with my friend and our sister in Christ, uh, Laura Perry Smoltz, about you know these matters that are happening in the church and in the culture. I want to encourage you to pick up her book, uh, Transgender to Transformed. And like she mentioned, it is also available in Spanish. If you're listening to this and, you know, you speak Spanish, uh, get it there. Um, thank you so much, Laura, for your time and talking with us. Um, it has been an incredible blessing. And uh, I, I just am so thankful that you're continuing to speak up and we we will definitely be talking to you sometime here in the near future. God bless. And thank you all for tuning in. And I just pray this has uh, been impactful, but please share it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.